Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, um, this marks the end of our first ever Northwestern football trivia uh, quarantine challenge. Um, we had a lot of great, uh, great interaction with people. Um, thanks for everyone who played. It was really, really cool to see uh, all the all the entries coming in, all of the the answers and the conversations that uh, arose from it. Um, kind of see where people were were tripping up uh, a little bit here and there. It was it was interesting to kind of see how there was definitely some commonality in, in some of the some of the trip ups. Um, but yeah, I mean. Congrats to everyone who played. We had, like I said, some really, really good engagement, and a lot of people had a lot of fun with it. I it was really fun. Like we learned stuff too, right? Around um, answers that we weren't expecting, or uh, things that we thought we knew that we ended up being slightly off on that we then realized uh, fact checking our answers. And um, I, for me personally, like the stories that that y'all shared with us around, you know, things like. This was one of my all-time favorite games that I attended. Um, you know, wh- whether it was that was the Michigan game in 1996 with the two with the the two attempts at the field goal by Brian Goins, or the Iowa game in 05 when when uh, Baz scored two TDs in three minutes, um, or engineered two TDs in, in three minutes, I should say. But just a lot of just a lot of deep down dirty Northwestern trivia out there, and and uh, it was awesome. It was great. Uh, so we should start with the leaderboard, right? Uh, we broke it into team division and individual div- division. So we want to shout out Westlot Warriors coming out on top in the team division and Gene Topper coming out on top in the individual division. Um, both one thing that is, that was really apparent though is in both the team and the individual division, there were a lot of really good comp competitors here. Um, to say that this was a deep group of people participating in this quiz. We can't stress enough. Let's say like 50 or above is a decent score on this quiz. Uh, 70 or above and you're a legend. Um, it's, it's so funny. If you look at the individual division, and you look at the people who scored 70 or higher, it is just a murderer's row of people who are, in some cases, famously experts on Northwestern football. Um, and then in the team division, you have the Westlaw Warriors, which is kind of like an all-star team of a similar group of people crowdsourcing the answers together. Um, it was just, these were hard questions, and you guys really brought it as a collective group. It's also worth noting, you know, like we weren't super rigorous about this. We had a lot of fun with it too along the way. Um, there were made like, <laughs> as as you'll hear, there was a photo. We were like, oh, that's not the guy we thought it was. <laughs> right. um, but it's also, you know, it's worth noting, like, uh, some of the final margin, especially in the individual division, was was really driven by the 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 bonus we gave for clean sweep. So that's just something for us to consider as we go forward, like. Um, you know, Gene basically had this thing wrapped up before the final day, uh, barring, barring a late collapse. Um, so, 
Uh, but yeah, this was great. We've already had uh, the, the Warriors already requested that we we explore this kind of a, approach for Northwestern basketball as well. Um, probably need some time get past the NFL draft before we <laughs> have the time to do something like that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, this was awesome. I like if we're ever allowed to leave our homes again, um, and if we ever were to do some sort of you know live event in Evanston, this this would be I think where we would probably start is some bar trivia. So um, again, thanks to everyone for participating. That's what made this fun. And uh, yeah, we're excited to excited to dig in a little bit and talk through some of the some of the the highlights. One other thing that I wanted to add before we get directly into the questions, and and we're gonna kind of cover this more when we get into the questions, is again seventy is just an unbelievable score or above. But it's so funny. Like I don't I don't mean to be ageist saying this at all or reverse ageist. I don't think we knew when we put the quiz together just how much it favored, you know, older alums or alums who were at least in school at the same time as we were or before that point. Um, just certain questions just happened to favor that group. And I think it wasn't really an intention that way. But I mean, with that said, like just to throw out, you know, random things like the former Wildside presidents is a relatively young group of alumni and like them breaking 50 is an awesome score. The X inside and you dream team score, they put up 65. Like that's a phenomenal score. Um, when, you know, we realize like just, just to throw out a random thing. And again, we're going to get here, but it's like one of the day seven questions had to do with Wildcats in the NFL. And if you go back to a place where, you know, you had your ear to the ground on Northwestern football in like the 70s and 80s, you can just rattle off a ton of names that even we, you know, didn't know or forgot. Um, and it's just so funny that that you don't think about those kind of things, or at least I didn't think about those kind of things when I was putting the questions together. But to discuss this point, it just was learning all that stuff just made it that much more fun. So let, let's go back to day four. Um, you know, last podcast, we went through all the answers for days one through three. <laughs> Speaking of what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in, in day four, we asked a question about Napoleon Harris. Uh, he played for an absolute, absolute juggernaut of a high school basketball team. Um, there were roughly 30 NFL and NBA seasons of talent on that roster. Uh, and that actually sells the depth of the team short. Um, they likely would have won three straight Illinois State Championships, but... Um, the same team knocked him out of the state tourney all three years. Name Napoleon Harris's high school, name any one of his hoops teammates, name the team that knocked his school out those three years, and name any player on that team. So, first of all, I, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily underestimated this, but it is definitely true, and, and I say this as someone who didn't arrive in Evanston until 1998, um, but if you were in school before that point, um, around the time, you know, that Sam, you started or right around then and, or were from the state of Illinois, you have a massive leg up on this question. And frankly, a lot of people answered big chunks of this question, probably more than I was expecting, but it is for, as for the we, record, I would have gotten zero on this. Yeah. I, as would I. yeah. And, um, Part of the reason I think I only knew part of this is is friend of the pod, Garth Robertson, who we've had on once or twice to talk college basketball, um, was more plugged into basketball recruiting than anyone I'll ever know and just probably filtered all this information to me. But anyway, it is an amazing bit of trivia. Napoleon Harris's high school basketball team at Harvey Thornton High School um, 
was absolutely ludicrous. Um, they had a player on that team who went on to be the com- the Colonial Athletic Association player conference player of the year at George Mason. And he's like the fifth most famous guy on that team. Um, the um, From a strictly basketball standpoint, the massive name is Melvin Eli. Uh, Melvin Eli was a um, massive college basketball recruit and went on to be a first-round pick in the NBA draft and carve out close to a decade-long career in the NBA. But it's the football names that stand out. Um, Napo, of course. Um, Ty Streets. Wide receiver, uh, Michigan, and then a long career in the NFL, and of course the point guard Antoine Randall. Uh, that blew that blew my mind when yep. I saw the first answers coming out. I was like, "Wait, what? Randall L was on was on both his basketball and football teams." That's yeah, it is absolutely absolutely insane. And of course, I, I think I also asked, like, "Did we recruit Randall L? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could that well, have happened?" Well, so what's funny is, you know, based on what I was just saying, that massive collection of talent basically scattered to the four winds um, as far as, you know, where they all went and played college football and college basketball. That is not true of the other team in this question. Um, and this team, again, this is where people who were in Illinois around that time have a massive leg up because this was a legendary high school basketball team, Peoria Emanuel. They won four straight um, titles, uh, and basically, despite the fact that, you know, that, that Thornton team had four professional athletes who played pro, ath- pro athletics at the highest level on that team, um, there wasn't really much pro success for the Peoria Emanuel guys. The reason that group is so famous, other than winning four straight titles, is they all then basically became the Illinois basketball team for basically the entire time Scuzz and I were at Northwestern. Um, and the, you know, Sergio McLean would be one of the most famous, um, Marcus Griffin and probably the best of them would have been Frank Williams. So it's basically crazy. It was like, Illinois was arguably the best basketball team in the big 10 for four years. And that same team was basically the high school team that was at Peoria Emanuel for four years. So again, as we said, it only peripherally involved NU football. It's just an absolute ludicrous bit of trivia that Napo played on a team like that and somehow didn't win any state titles. Um, and just as just as an afterthought, uh, Kevin Garnett was playing high school basketball in the same area at the same time for a different school. So uh, absolute craziness. It wasn't wasn't Napo recruited Northwestern to play basketball. He did play basketball Pr- primarily. Both. Yeah, he, he played plays. both. But like, I, I feel like the story, at least that I heard, was that, that basketball was the primary and football was the secondary. And then it flipped once he got here. Is that accurate or am I off on that? I don't remember for sure. I, I know, like, he played basketball at least to start, and I think he might have stopped playing basketball later on in his his run at Northwestern. Yeah, I'll, he, he I'll, definitely only went one year. I'll tell you right now, we're crowdsourcing the answer to this because a lot of you got pieces <laughs> of this question right, so fill in this detail for us. Gene? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to question number two. What team was removed from Northwestern's schedule as a result of 9-11, and what team replaced it, and who was the coach of that replacement team? So um, I got to jump in here because this is this is this was my, my John senior year, but this is such a um, – vivid 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 memory for me for so many reasons not just 9-11 but as my senior year as as drum major of the marching band uh the navy game on 9-12 was going to be our first home game of the year 
um, all the events uh, of of nine eleven happened while we were still at. Was it was it nine twelve or was it? Like, no, it wasn't nine twelve. Yeah, it was like sixteenth like, yeah, or something. Nine eleven was on a Tuesday, and it was yeah. like that Saturday following. But so we were in a cornfield in Iowa when that, or in uh, Wisconsin when that all happened, and we were getting trickles of news. It was very it was very surreal to be just so disconnected from it, and then to come back to to um, it's uh, in, in some ways it's kind of like um, the stories you're hearing about people that were like on these on these epic ten or twenty or thirty day hikes. They came out of the wilderness to discover the world in lockdown over coronavirus. Um, but anyways, um, there were a number of people that answered Air Force to this question, uh, which is obviously super close, but it was Navy. And then Bowling Green was the team that came in and replaced them that we played at the end of the year. It was our, our I believe, the final home game. Yeah, I think um, it was. there was a buy, it was a buy late, I think, and uh, Bowling Green was able to come in and, and fill up that spot. Yeah, or and maybe we played Illinois after that. Yeah. Um, but uh, that team was coached by none other than Ur- Urban Meyer, and as a result, they um, ran roughshod all over our uh, beleaguered defense, and then scoring a touchdown to get within one, I, you know, to make the score forty to forty-one. This team um, will show up in a later question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they 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 ran a two-point conversion play, which we were not expecting, and this was like the early days of go for two at the end of regulation, as opposed to go for the tie. Um, they were on the road. They were the un- the underdog for unknown reasons. Um, and we, I just remember our team was completely like caught unaware. Like I don't even know if we were lined up uh, to stop the two point conversion. And of course, they they converted it and and to just put like a horrible exclamation point on the worst season that I've ever experienced. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> Uh, question number three: Name three players who played both football and baseball at Northwestern. This is one of these questions that's really enjoyable because this is one of the ones where we ended up learning a lot and having to cross-check a lot of stuff. The big notice, uh, not to step on question four, but I had forgotten that there was a good chance Quentin Williams would be the answer to two questions on the same day. I, I, total is total shock. I had no idea he played baseball. Yep. We uh, we had named I think I think when we when we posted this like we between the three of us we had named six or seven players that we thought would be you know the answers that we'd get and um, we got a whole bunch of other players. It's funny yeah, so, I don't know I why. Mean, no, go ahead, Sam. No, so like Jack Mitchell was was a big one. Obviously, you know, yep. played baseball was, was a kicker. Arby Fields uh, mm-hmm. played both. Um, Otto Graham was Otto another Graham. one. That's kind right. of an easy answer. But then like I think like Nick some of the ones that we were. Yeah, we remembered Crime Brink and JJ Standring uh, from back in the in in you know years when we were in school or shortly thereafter. Yeah, and then there were a couple of random people. I think someone threw out Joe Girardi. Like, why not? <laughs> why not take a flyer? You never know. <laughs> I did see Joe at the Pinstripe Bowl, so let no one say he wasn't interested in football. But sadly, <laughs> not, not not an answer. Not not an acceptable answer. And then, of course, the photo, uh, Quentin Williams on his interception return in the Gator Bowl. Um, you could argue that that play sealed the game for Northwestern. And the resolution wasn't great. There's a tiny little little fractal part of the banner from the from the edge of the Gator Bowl patch on the uh, on the left side of his jersey. A lot of people identified that this was not a Northwestern home game, despite Northwestern wearing home colors. Uh, many, many folks... Uh, picked Ben Bennett Skoranek at, at, in the Kentucky game in the, in the music city bowl. Um, I think that the time of day and the daylight would have, uh, would have, would have, would have been something to push you in a different direction, but yeah, and, and people... it was overcast at the, it was like 
cloudy and overcast and darker at the yeah. Music City Bowl. Yep. And um, Bennett, Bennett Skronik's a big receiver. He's not that big, I would say. Well, I, well, I was going to say, Quentin Williams is feeling pretty damn awesome that you think he looks like Bennett Skronik. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to day number five, and and this kind of you know goes back to the that Bowling Green question. Um, name three Northwestern games that were decided by two point conversions, and what was Northwestern's record in those three games? We had to come back and and kind of make it clear that we were talking about last play of the game being a two point conversion for either the win or the loss, like like walk off. Two or, point conversions or walk is probably off, the term we should like, used. Or like effectively walk off. Yeah, because yeah, I think yeah. there were at least a couple of games where like the play happened with like six seconds left or something and someone still had to kick off after twenty seconds but, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. So but still, when we put this together, I'm gonna cop to this right now. Oh yeah. I, I added the record question because I could only think of three. And there were yep. at least like three other ones that people yep. came up with where we were slapping our heads being like, oh my God, how did we forget that game? So, yeah, What's, I mean, kudos so, to you yeah, guys. Run, run through a few. The, the, Mich- the Moon game, Michigan Northwestern, where uh, Simeon slipped on the two-point conversion. Um, I, cl- I clearly had blocked that from my mind. Yeah. It, it was an obvious answer. It's probably the, the number one one that we got amongst all the respondents. And um, it was not even on my radar when we were writing this question. Um and I think it's because, like, God damn it, we had Michigan beat and dead to rights, and and it was a terrible. <sighs> game. I mean, that was just an awful game, all all up and down, all around, all around. Um, right. The Outback Bowl against Auburn, that one was on our radar. That, that that's one of the ones I was thinking of. The, the bowl, the aforementioned Bowling Green game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another. And then uh, NIU in uh, what was that? Two thousand and five. Um. Yeah, I can't, I can't quite remember the year. All I know is that I was at a wedding in Evanston that day, and um, there was a sizable gap between the ceremony and the reception. And a handful of us were managed to. It was the the the, the ceremony was at Alice Millar Chapel on South Campus, and a handful of us came to the game, watched the second half, were really anxious about overtime because we knew we couldn't stay. NIU went for two, didn't get it. We all celebrated and then went to the reception, had a had a blast. I think Garrett Wolf is still rushing for yards against us <laughs> from that game. Yeah. That, yeah. that one, oh my God. When that, that game ended, I was yeah. just like pretty much on the floor. So yeah. But that but that, that was, in bowling that in bowling green, like the um those were the like the hallmarks of the Greg Colby Swiss cheese defense. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and Auburn. Corey, all you had to do was seal, buddy. All you had to do was seal, but no, we've got plenty of good Corey Wooten times coming later on yeah. in this quiz. So the, the, the other one that came up a lot was 2007 against Minnesota, and this this one again was not on my radar at all. But I guess Minnesota went for two in OT and didn't get it. Yeah. So again, it was like, and people. So I can't give enough credit because people were like, yeah. So here are the here are the uh, here are these three, and like our record was like two and one, and I'm like, yeah, it absolutely was, and I didn't remember a couple of these games, and the record I had was one and two. Also, I give mad props to at least one person who was like, here's one I know, I don't know the next two, but I'm going to say our record was two and one, and you can't prove me wrong. <laughs> that's, a ball- that's a baller move. You had me. So, you had me so- on the logistics. What, one other one that's worth mentioning that was, again, not on my radar was the end of the Music City Bowl against Kentucky, where Kentucky went for two and didn't get it. Uh-huh. Um, Sam and I were, like, right in front of that play. 
Uh, but we were also pretty pretty distracted by the hilarity of the of the Northwestern piss tent. So, um, <laughs> I, what are you going to do? Uh, one answer we did not accept was the no, 1995 Notre Dame Northwestern game, in which Notre Dame scored a touchdown um, to make it 17-15 with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they went for two, and um, Rick Meyer got tripped up while his offensive lineman fell. Um, the the important piece is that Notre Dame stopped Northwestern and got the ball back again after that with about four minutes to play and uh, and then couldn't convert a fourth down. So it, it was not a game deciding. It, it, it was, you know, deciding from a scoreboard standpoint, but it was not the game deciding um, drive, score, or play. So uh, we did not accept 95 uh, upset at Notre Dame for this question. Uh, moving on to question number two. Name the player who caught the second victory ride pass in 2001. Name the player who scored the winning points in that same game. And name both players on the opposing team who returned a kick or punt for a touchdown in the same game. Crazy game. Oh, it sure seems at, at the moment that all of this happened, like the magic from the season before was still very much alive. And then we basically didn't. I think we won one more game beyond this point. But this was an awesome game to be at. Um, probably the last great game of Scuzz and I's college time at Northwestern. Um, Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So the the second victory right pass, of course, was not thrown from midfield. It was thrown from pretty close to our own end zone um, to get to try to get us into miracle field goal range and was caught by a guy who was part of, you know, peripherally, the original, we'll get to on the question, the original victory right, John Schweiger. Um, and Northwestern immediately came up, I think spiked the ball, then ran one more play, I think, to try to get a, a handful more yards, called a timeout. And then Dave Wazalewski, uh, came out to kick the game winning field goal, um, for the win. The crazy thing of the way the game, this game broke down was, uh, the last notable plays of this game were, we had punted to all everything wide receiver Charles Rogers. Mm. Charles Rogers had taken that punt back to the house. Northwestern had gotten the ball back with precious little time, engineered an unbelievable scoring drive in the final two minutes to score and take the lead. And then we kicked off to Herb Haygood, who returned it for a touchdown in the most backbreaking fashion possible. Except then, in the last 16 seconds, we engineered a scoring drive to win the game. So, so that's your answer. It's John Schweiger, Dave Wazalewski, Charles Rogers, Herb Haygood. Props to to Garrett Pollock, who who basically responded to this question with like, "I have no idea, but I have to go look that up now to go figure out what the hell you guys are talking about." And came back about an hour later, hour later, like brain broken. What was this game? And um, I was telling him that yeah, like, and John, you alluded to it a second ago in the in the moment. Because this was, I think, the first Big Ten game of the uh, 2001 season. Right. And, you know, Northwestern, had we had cruised through our non-conference that year, and it wasn't extremely difficult. Um, but, and I, I believe we were ranked um, maybe, in, maybe in the low 20s uh, or high teens going into this game. And, and we hadn't played that many games because Navy had been taken off of yep, our schedule. Yep, exactly, exactly. And so then, you know, we... we this game transpires in the way it transpires and it feels exactly like the season before. And, you know, all of us went into 2001 looking at the, at the cards on the table and like, well, Drew Brees is gone from Purdue. Michigan has lost a ton. 
we basically get everyone back. Um, that wasn't entirely true, but, um, you know, our, our big, our big time skill position players, et cetera, like most, most players were back. And then, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't had to play Ohio state the prior year. Um, so we were, you know, thinking we could, we could hang with them, but the, the, the end of this game, like, like, we were all thinking Northwestern was winning the Big Ten again, and um, for the season to, to go the way it went, I think I think the following week was at Ohio State when we got our butts handed to us. Um, I think in so a, in a night game ranked ranked matchup. And then the week after that was Illinois was Mich- Minnesota, Minnesota, which we won, and that was about all she wrote from that point on. Not great. We we lost every game there on out. Yep, but that Michigan State game was pretty great. If you were there, it was. It was. <laughs> I was I was watching that game from a casino in Vegas, so I I don't have the same uh, visceral reaction and, and remembrance to it as you guys do. But speaking of games where we pulled victory from the jaws of defeat, yeah. Moving on to question number three: Name the player who quote stripped Anthony Thomas in the fifty four fifty one game in two thousand, and name the player who recovered the fumble. Those quotes are not an accident. It's it's. Pretty subjective. I think any any diehard Northwestern fan, it's our duty to say that Sean Weber stripped Anthony Thomas in this play. His hand was in the vicinity of the ball somewhere. The ball did come out. There, there, there go. Air by. It is a strip. Um, funnily enough, Sean Weber is, a, I think, a partner in a law firm uh, in Chicago now. And I was looking this up, and I think that because I was just looking it up when I put the question online and I think some like law review is actually like written an article about this story or something, which I thought was hilarious. Um, and of course, Raheem Covington recovered the fumble famously and then ran off the field with the ball held over his head, um, going absolutely ballistic, just a fantastic classic moment in a literally classic game, the instant classic game that showed on ESPN classic forever after that play um, and that great moment. But yeah, so Sean Weber and Raheem Covington. And then the uh, the photo, in- interesting crop job. I, there there were some clues in there that uh, you could kind of gather everything from, but that is Kyle Prater uh, at Notre Dame in 2014. We were dangling the Justin Jackson carrot to see if anybody would <laughs> would go for it. It's funny because I had this I had this picture in my mind in part because. Um, my brother-in-law, uh, so my, my wife's entire family, um, is, a, is like Notre Dame. It's her, her two brothers, her grandfather, like six of her cousins, two of her nieces. It's, it's, it's madness. Um, it's also very, very cool. I might add. Uh, so I was at this game, Sam, you came to this game with me. Um, we were using, uh, tickets that my, my wife had purchased with, you know, through her family, et cetera. Um, but so I have a, I have a framed photo of, uh, like I have this photo framed with the ticket. Um, uh, my brother-in-law, uh, put that together for me for, for Christmas one year, which, um, being the massive Notre Dame fan that he is, I really, I realized probably, probably cost him a lot more than, than the, the dollars he spent on the frame, et cetera. Um, but so I had this in my mind and yet it was really hard to find a view of this, uh, that didn't show something you know, basically that had, had Notre Dame on it. There's, there's a, you could, you could do like a very, very narrow zoom in on Prater himself. Um, but it was such an iconic touchdown for Prater that it'd be, you know, I, I, that, that may have been easy itself. There's the guy on the sideline with the camera guy with the, with the ND hat. And then you can see the, the, the classic line in the, in the end zone. So, 
Um, but this was, this was still a good one. And, um, gosh, an incredible, an incredible memory. Uh, you know, if you think about the, the seven photos that we laid out here, uh, across the seven days, um, this certainly stacks up as one of the best moments, uh, in, in the last, you know, in my fandom as a, as a Northwestern fan. And that's not just because of, of my, of my in-laws. Yeah, I wish that that guy's Notre Dame hat hadn't been there. I wanted to see how many people could get it just off the end zone because multiple people mentioned the hat. Yeah, um, but I, still, I, I wonder yeah. if you could have like blurred it out or something. Yeah, next next time uh, uh, we'll 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 dust off our um, our photo editing skills. Yeah. Maybe 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 you blur out Prater's name a little bit or I don't know. Yeah. In a later photo, there's, and we'll get to it, but there was an awesome surrender cobra that I wish I could have cropped into the photo that <laughs> I wasn't able to do. All right, moving on to day six. Uh, question number one, name the final colleges attended by Venrick Mark, Gavin Hoffman, Ian Park, Adonis Smith, and Charlie Fessler. This is a hard, this was a hard question. Are arguably one of the hardest questions. Um, a lot of people did really well on it. Venrix was, I would say, the second hardest because it's one of those alphabet soup schools, uh, West Texas A&M. Um, and, you know, there are so many different kind of directional Texas kind of schools or ways you could get this one wrong, etc. Um, Gavin Hoffman, Penn, Ian Park. I think for whatever reason, Slippery Rock sticks in a lot of people's minds and they remember that. Um, and then Charlie Fessler, what Charlie Fessler, whether it's Regency bias or whatever, or credit to Charlie, him being awesome in his one year at Richmond. He was fantastic. Um, um, that one a lot of people got too. The hardest one easily was Adonis Smith. And the reason is, um, he didn't fin, he transferred out of Northwestern to another school and then transferred from that school. Several people put UNLV, which was the answer that I had even forgotten. And I would have put down as well. He did transfer to UNLV and then he transferred to Arizona. So technically Adonis finished his career as an Arizona wildcat. So that question became even more difficult than I was intending it to do. But a lot of people got a lot of pieces of this question, right? All right, question number two. This this one was fun. Name five other football teams head coached by individuals who are also the head football coach at Northwestern. Um, you know, there, there's a couple obvious ones. Um, you know, Colorado, uh, Gary Barnett, um, and then you could just you could get three of them just with Denny Green. You want to crown their asses? Crown them. Yeah, Arizona, Minnesota, um, Stanford. Yep. Yeah, Denny but, was the big treasure trove, but a lot of there were a lot of other people that a lot of other people picked other things. Fort Collins made an appearance a lot, which I would Fort, I Fort Lewis. Fort, Fort Lewis, Lewis, I mean Fort Lewis. Um, yeah, not Colorado State. Uh, Fort Lewis uh, made an appearance multiple times, which I thought was pretty cool. People name dropping that one for Barnett. Miami, Ohio. Back, yeah, with Randy Walker. Notre Dame with Eric Parsegian. Yep. And then I think John Pont in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, there was somebody that went to Cal, uh, was it, yeah, somebody went to Cal. And then my favorite pull was, was Rick Venturi as interim head coach in the, at the Indianapolis Colts for a portion of a season, which I guess counts. He was head coach. Yep. People, people really, this is one of these questions people really nailed. Like I was really impressed. <laughs> um, most people went to the Denny Green well, cause how could you not? But still a lot of people put up a lot of good answers on this one. Uh, question number three, name the four players who are in the end zone during or within a second of victory right. This one was interesting because 
of a little twist at the end. Yeah, I don't know that, jeez, did anybody get this question right? Right now I'm trying to think, and someone, if you did, I'm sure you're like, come on, where's my credit? Um, but this was, this was a really good one. Um, a lot of people said Teddy Johnson, and Teddy is notably not in this play, which kind of led to us wondering why wasn't he in this play? I don't know if he was banged up or what, but he wasn't on the field. Um, Pretty sure he got injured. I, like, yeah. I know he was. I know he was hurt off and on during that year. Um, right. I'm, I'm pretty sure he got dinged up earlier in the game. Um, but I, you know, the so in, the the two names that just about everybody got or a lot of people got were Kunle Patrick tipping the ball to Sam Simmons. Um, those are the two that everybody remembers. Also in the end zone, kind of lying in a heap with Patrick, was John Schweiger, um, who we already mentioned would catch the victory right past the year after that. And then arriving in the end zone as a trailer, and the only player who, of the four wide receivers who started the play on the left side and not the right side was Derek Thompson, um, reserve wide receiver, who nonetheless had a couple big catches that season, including in the Wisconsin game, um, arrived just after and... Being, as I'm sure a lot of you have, I've watched the video of this play roughly a thousand times. Um, again and again and again, I think my favorite thing that stands the test of time is Thompson. Because Patrick and Schweigert are on the ground in a heap. They don't really realize what's happened in the moment that it happens. But Thompson is trailing the play, and he knows exactly what happens. And just has this just explosion of excitement the minute... Um, that Simmons catches the ball and then Thompson kind of jumps and lands in the end zone right as Simmons is leaving the end zone in his run to the tunnel. So, so those are your four guys, just an all time moment, maybe the very best moment for my money. Um, but those were the four guys that were involved. It's funny because when I, when I think about when I play it back in my head and I have not gone back and looked at the video, but when I play it back in my head, I see exactly what you're talking about, John, the guy coming in celebrating and, you know, put a gun to my head, I would have, I would have guessed Teddy Johnson. I could have named, I could not have named Derek Thompson, um, out of the blue, but I also like, like the video reel in my head. I'm like, there's no way that could be Teddy Johnson. He's too tall. And sure enough, it's not. Um, I, it is interesting. Do you know who the gopher defenders on that play were? No. And I think I, and that's a funny because again, wording of the question got us because I think a couple people were like, Oh, and like, they remembered like Patrick, Sam and Simmons, and then like two Gopher defenders. If you could have named those guys, we would have accepted it. I would. That oh, one hundred percent. That would have been a hell of a pull. I would have been pretty amazed. I just kind of expected, like, not not that I expected anybody to know the Gopher players, but that was the first place my head went was Simmons and Patrick and whoever the third Northwestern receiver was, and then a Gopher. Um, and I assumed there must have been like a famous Gopher, but I but no. Uh, moving on to question four, the the picture, um, yeah, pr- pretty iconic moment uh, in both good and bad. Yeah, Demetrius Fields catching the game winning touchdown against Iowa in 2010. This is the play on which uh, Dan Persitore's Achilles. Um, I want to say it was like a 25 yard touchdown pass into the back corner of the end zone. It was, I mean, it was beautiful. Um, I'm I'm quite impressed. I, like virtually everyone got this. Yep, and um. There are scant clues uh, as to the opponent, if any, 
I mean, there's a little bit of yellow on the sideline, but it, I mean, frankly, it could uh, be that, a that, that's that's a, that's a poncho of the security guard. The security, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're basically going off of the number eight, and uh, you know, knowing he just scored, maybe you can tell that that's. I think that that's Ross Lane holding him up. And then um, number twenty-five. Uh, you know, you can partially see a little bit of name, but like, there's not much to go on here. So I'm, 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 I'm pretty impressed. I actually thought this one, this question was going to be a lot harder. This picture was going to be a lot harder than it turned out to be. Yeah, for whatever reason, I think this was a sweet spot across the age range of our yeah. of our contestants that just about everybody felt connected to and and, and got right. So that was pretty cool. I, I think it's so, some, somebody I, I, referenced the uniforms that they were wearing and as like a clue to which which years it was and they used that which is like baller like you guys are amazing i i I think that like looking at the faces of the students just like the the shock like the jaws on the ground like oh my god what just happened um could also have been a clue too yeah well and and if you remember that game you know that 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 touchdown was scored in the the end zone by the student section so that, that that certainly would have been another clue Although the old student section, the, right? It's right. moved since. Yeah. No, uh, that, right. that was the, the old student section. Tricky, it's not, tricky, that's, tricky. That's not friendly territory anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to day seven, uh, the last day. Yeah, a lot of points available here. Um, in the 1998, 2006, and 2019 seasons, combined rec- record of 10 and 26, name the 11 quarterbacks who attempted at least one pass or run. Only one group got this right. And this question is so difficult that it took the juggernaut Westlot Warriors team, um, a bunch of diehard NU fans crowdsourcing it together to get this question right. Um, this was, this was hard. Um, it was mainly hard because of Mark Brocksterman. Um, Mark Brocksterman on one end and then Jason Whitaker on the other end. Um, those were the two. Um, Broxerman would be the harder pull, but you would also have to remember that Whitaker this past season played for what, probably about two snaps, although both of them were runs and he didn't throw a pass. But though that's what it took. Um, I would say that the areas people were strongest were, of course, last season, but um, people were really strong with the CJ Bechet, Mike Kafka, Andrew Brewer trio. I think a lot of people nailed that. Um, Can you run down all 11 real quick? Sure. So it's, um, <laughs> this is really an, an illustrious group. It's 98 was Gavin Hoffman, Nick Kreinbrink, and Mark Brocksterman. This was, this was the trio that initiated Scuzz and I to Northwestern football. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and then, as we said, Bechet, Kafka, and, um, Andrew Brewer, who ultimately went on to a very solid career as a Northwestern receiver, which multiple respondents noted. Um, and then last year, huh, here's the deep breath as we go down memory lane, right? <laughs> TJ Green, Hunter Johnson, Andrew, uh, Andrew, Aiden Smith, Andrew Marty, and the aforementioned Jason Whitaker, who did not actually throw a pass. But, uh, so Westlaw Warriors were the only group that, that got this, that whole question correct. All right, question number two. Name eight sets of brothers uh, who played football for Northwestern and name another set of brothers who had made a verbal commitment to Northwestern but then left, decommitted. This this was one where I'm glad that I added the decommitted part at the end because there were people who were like 15 deep with sets of brothers on this question. 
<laughs> and it was just like people were throwing out names just to throw out names and i was i kept like we're we're crunching all this data and i'm like oh god i have to make sure i only count eight names here i'm gonna accidentally give someone like 10 points for this question um, <laughs> there were so many ways you could have gone i don't know like i mean we i guess we should even try we'll throw some out right i mean god from the bergens to williams's the millers the nagels um God, who Vitalis. The Vitalis, Hunter Johnson and his brother. Um, uh, God, there. Did you get the Williams? Yeah, um, you got the got the, the, Williams's. Moose, the Williamses. A lot of people brought out the Musos, um, which was the, you know one back from the Rose Bowl era. Um, oh God, there are so many, and there are multiple other current ones. The Gallagher's would have been another one. Yep. Caros, um, Caros. The Dickersons, if we didn't bring that up already. Yep. So, so many. I mean, the, to say a lot of brothers have come through Northwestern is is an understatement. And a lot of you, you know, a lot of people got eight or more of those. The ninth, of course, which, you know, to, to completely run this question, you had to know the Dowell twins. Um, uh, we did not, we did not offer any points for who cares they decommitted. Which came up a couple of times. <laughs> I wanted to give partial credit, but I just couldn't quite get there. Um, but the, the Dowells were, who ultimately, I think, what happened? They decommitted from Northwestern, then they committed to Michigan State, and then they either decommitted, or no, they, no, they committed to Kentucky, I want to say, and then decommitted from Kentucky and went to Michigan State or something like that. But it was, they, they, Entertained a couple schools before they ended up at Michigan State. So, in in any case, that's the answer to that question. If you care, and it's totally okay if you don't. Uh, question number three: Name three Wildcats who played professional football prior to the arrival of Gary Barnett. They, I, I could have named Otto Graham and Chris Hinton, and that's it. This is the one where, for a certain group of respondents to this question, I think it was Louis Vacare. I want to say, and if it was someone else, I apologize, said only three <laughs> and then, and then just started throwing names. And I was like, Oh my God, because I was like, scuzz, I could have given you three, um, autogram, Chris Hinton and Bob Christian. Um, Steve Tasker was the head slapper where I was like, Oh my God, how did I forget? Steve Tasker was Northwestern. Um, and you know, of course, since Barnett, there have been oodles, but there were so many other names that people were throwing out and, and all of them were accurate. So, I mean, you know, especially the um, more aged alums absolutely destroyed this question, but everybody did pretty well overall. Yeah. Chris Hinton, uh, you know, best known to me is the guy the Broncos traded for John Elway. He <laughs> was just the gift that kept on giving for you, Sam. Absolutely. Uh, and then the, the photo Identify the player, season, and opponent in this photo. The guy in the middle is who we want. Course, you know who did, we didn't really you know, know who, who we yeah, wanted. You know who didn't identify that player? Us. Us. <laughs> <laughs> so I. So the the we ended up basically awarding a secret bonus point on this question if you named both players, both the real guy in the middle and the guy that we thought it was in the middle. So um, I was looking for a picture that would capture the. Um, Corey Wooten sack of Ricky Stanzi in the 2009 season at Iowa in which Northwestern knocked off. I think they were number seven Iowa, um, but they were undefeated and 
And not only did, did Wooten sack Stanzi, but he also, I, I think Stanzi broke his leg on the play. Um, another variant of this question is named two, two quarterbacks whose career, uh, or whose season Corey Wooten has ended. Um, Brett, Brett Favre with the Vikings being the other one. Um, but I, like there were just, there were not a lot of good photos. And then I saw this one of, of the guys celebrating. I thought, oh, this is, this is perfect. It makes it even that much harder. What I didn't realize at the time, because so what's what if you look closely at the picture, the guy in the middle is jumping, he's in the air. So in the photo, he looks a lot taller than he is in reality. And uh, as a result, it's and I'm blanking on the name now. Um, Marshall, Marshall Thomas. Yeah, Marshall Thomas. Thank you. I was gonna say Marshall Thompson. I was like, that is not, not accurate. So Marshall Thomas, who who, who was another interior defender um, and we believe recovered the fumble that Corey Wooten caused scoring the touchdown to, to give the cats, um, uh, you know, a, a, a bigger lead in that game. So, so we accepted Corey Wooten as an answer. We accepted uh, Marshall Thomas as an answer. And if you gave us both names, we gave you an extra bonus point, secret bonus point. Yeah. The Thomas one, I was like, we can't, this is, you, you get a bonus for this. And I, I think the Westlot warriors who pulled off a ballistic, 31 point sweep of a 30 day <laughs> day seven probably we're looking at the math and thinking did they screw up because we had 54 points and now we have 85 points after day seven it's like no you're it's right you we gave you guys an extra bonus point so they absolutely obliterated the final day but uh but yeah no it was it, we we were off on that one but it was actually i i forget who it was whether it was i don't know if it was it could have been Hardle Cat. It could have been, um, you know, at Arlen's 12 or someone else. Um, very first person answered Marshall Thomas. And the first time I heard that, I was like, that is Marshall Thomas. And then the <laughs> was like, yep, we got to go back to the drawing board on this one. So, yeah, those those are all the answers. Um, you know, and again, thanks to everyone who, uh, who participated. Um, I, I think this is something that we will continue to do moving forward I, I know we we have all learned a little something from doing it uh you know make sure we're researching all of our answers properly before we uh before we put them out there um although you know john big credit to you for putting this together i mean it, that it's a hard hard quiz and you really did yeoman's work putting it all together so I just, everybody who, I mean, so many people went hard at this quiz and then stayed with it. I think one of my favorite things was getting answers that had a lot of commentary, which we yes. got a lot of yes. people being like, oh, I remember exactly where this was. This happened and then this happened. Or even people kind of thinking out loud in the question being like, okay, let's see. So who did this and who did this? And it was like, that's exactly what we were going for. Like I, I just... I think our goal was to just have a fun quiz that you guys would really enjoy and kind of enjoy digging your teeth into. Um, and that's the big thing. I think we're just glad that, that everyone had a lot of fun with this. Um, and I also, again, I did it before. I really want to shout out some of the younger alums here. Um, again, just because the scores when you see, I mean, it, it wasn't intended to be this way, but a lot of the questions favored an older information base and there were, and I don't think we realized that at the time, but I mean, Garrett would just be one person, you know, a friend of the pod to shout out, just stayed with it. Not, not an alum either yet. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Exactly. And you know, he stayed with it just in the face of what I now realize in hindsight was just 
a blizzard of information, it would have been really hard for him to know um, and and still put up a solid score. So again, it's just this was you know the entire roster, and if you look at the whole leaderboard top to bottom, um, when you get to the bottom of both groups, it's just people that you know for whatever reason haven't gotten all their scores in haven't got all their scores in yet and we'll update the leaderboard if you know if any we get any late updates or anything like that um but for people who went the full seven days by and large uh, people really brought it and gave max effort and i was just kind of blown away by how good all the scores were uh so you know we're we're gonna you know leave it there for tonight um we've got something fun planned for a little bit later on this week so this is gonna be a special uh, two episode week for everyone. Um, and then next week, uh, is the NFL draft and we are deep in preparations, uh, for our massive, uh, NFL draft night one mega cast. Um, we're going to do this up again with our, our boys over at winning cures, everything. Um, you know, we're, we, it was wild and crazy last year. And I, I think it's going to be you know even wilder and crazier this year, especially with, all of the wildness that's going on with uh, how the NFL is going to be putting on the draft this year. Um, it, it's going to make for some some pretty fun commentary. I, I think we're all going to have a lot of fun with it. So uh, it's, I, bu- buckle I just, up. Yeah, I just want to say, too, just in advance of this, I mean, for those of you who listened to last year's um, or for those of you who've listened, you know, when we've had Winning Cures Everything guys on our pod or when we've um, gone on their pod or – if you were at the tailgate um, for the Ohio State game last year when they came and visited us, they are the best guys. They are our Mississippi brothers from another mother. These guys are so much fun. Um, if you go and check out Winning Cures Everything, I mean, look on YouTube or look at their website. It's an awesome podcast. They are just so much fun. And when you throw them into the the mix of the just unhinged lunacy that our draft pod is every year, it is going to be so much fun. Just stupid, stupid fun. But we're going to enjoy it. So we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lawn of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.